0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Stories of Darkness. My name is Sean. Thank you so much for listening. The story for this episode is from the revised edition of Clan Book Malkavian from White Wolf Publishing and was written by Ethan Skemp. I hope you enjoy. It was the consummation of a marriage. The vows were unspoken, of course. The courting had taken place long ago in the language of grants and internships rather than doses of cliched poetry. It had been patient and professional, trust given out measure by measure as he let me further and further into the great work of his... life. First the gift of Vitae, then the gift of responsibility, always rationed out with perfect reason, perfect control. It would have been unprofessional to shudder as we stepped into the operating theater, so naturally I did no such thing, although I felt certain that he wouldn't have interpreted it as fear. Why should I fear this place? Almost an old friend. It certainly would have been forward. The fluorescent lighting was no different. The polished steel table, the same as it had been throughout years of procedures, case studies, and experiments. The catheter, the plastic drum. New, of course, but hardly unsettling. No, the difference this time was anticipation. Delight, almost. But a show of such emotion would surely be embarrassing to him. And that would be unforgivable. The repetitive echoes of his shoes' soles against the floor bounced off the walls. As I slid off my lab coat, I lowered my head and closed my eyes. Time for the game to begin again. He had taught me a trick of superhuman hearing some time ago, and I'd been so flustered by how hard it was to learn that I felt sure he'd turned me out before I grasped the secret. But when I finally heard for the first time, that was when the game began. Clack, clack. He was beginning his circuit of the theater, always attentive for the slightest foreign element, the least chance of chaos. Clack, clack. At the left edge of the one-way mirror now, scrutinizing the seams. Clack, clack. Halfway across the mirror now. Can he see me through the reflection of the observation booth on the other side? He's never said, but he must be able to. Clack. Clack. The far end now. Clack. And a pause. My smile faded. What had he found? And then there it was. The squeak of cloth, certainly his handkerchief, on metal. Clack. Clack. The circuit began again. I'd be deluding myself if I thought that the Vitae-induced sensory amplification allowed for as complex a sensory mechanism as echolocation but this theater was home. More so now than the house I'd grown up in or the apartment I slept in. To be frank, I believe last year I'd slept late hours at the lab as often as I'd managed to crawl into an actual bed. We'd run so many case studies in here that I knew every corner, every inch of the equipment better than I knew my own bedroom. And I'd watch Dr. Netchurch pace the room just like this before every study, before every procedure. That was the game. To see him as he must be, to watch every footstep with my eyes shut tight, to see him crinkle his brow just slightly with every pause, with every possible imperfection. At the risk of dropping all objectivity, it was frankly exhilarating. Ten more steps and he'd be within arm's reach once more. Clack, clack. His pace picking up just a little now as he becomes more certain that nothing's amiss. Clack, 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 by the cabinet now, and there, the slight touch of skin on metal as he slides his fingers gently along the steel doors, almost unaware that he does so. Clack, clack, almost here, clack, and a pause? He's testing me, I thought giddily, don't open your eyes yet, he still lacks one more step, just one clack. I opened my eyes and raised my head, smiling ever so slightly. His face was immobile, a statue with glass eyes. And then there was just a twitch of movement by one eye. I could have shrieked with laughter, but instead I simply tilted my head a centimeter or so to the side and raised my eyebrows just so. Precise control. Precise communication. That was the heart of our relationship." Well then, he lightly coughed, if you're quite ready, doctor, we'll begin the procedure. Of course. I forced my hands to remain at my sides, although they ferociously wanted to smooth down the goose pimples on my arms. He took my coat, folding it crisply and setting it to one side. I sat down on the table and lay back. The cool of the metal rose up against my bare arms and seeped through my clothes, and it was so refreshing. The laboratory's cool atmosphere, perfect 65 degrees Fahrenheit, I might have giggled at the thought, wasn't cooling me down at all. I must have seemed so feverish to him. How like him, so courteous and concerned, not to mention it at all. Straps of metal and leather closed on my wrists, ankles, and brow. It was an interesting feeling, the feeling of physical restraints coupled with anticipation. Yes, it was an appetite, but something going beyond sexuality into so much more. Sex, after all, is a purely physical intimacy. Only clouded through psychological delusion does it seem more than that. A lesson I'd gradually learned from my work. Watching him slice through the layers of tissue and blood down to a subject's very bones. The same thing, really. An intimacy that means only as much as one lets it. But this, to think of it, an intimacy of body and psyche, and of such intellect. Are you comfortable, doctor? So reserved, so gentlemanly. I nodded quickly, refusing to smile like an embarrassed teenager. Very good. His finger strong and cool as the table itself closed on my arm. I closed my eyes. There was the quick tingling dab of wet cotton. Force of habit or tenderness? Surely the latter. Then the stab of the needle. Like a good patient, I held my arm perfectly still as the metal slid into my flesh. Like a good patient, I began to give of myself. It wasn't the first time I'd let someone draw blood, of course. I was glad to participate whenever the blood drives came to my college. I'd long gotten past any latent fears of doctors and needles by then. It seemed preposterous to develop any sort of personal attachment to my blood, so the issue of perceived violation wasn't at all relevant either. Very simple. This time, though, I was growing colder and sleepier than ever I'd been before. There was a brief moment when I thought of my blood. All of my blood, draining into sterilized plastic, leaving me stiff and lifeless, and I wanted to panic. But the lethargy, coupled with discipline, was master here. A simple sleep. Ever so brief, I sluggishly reminded myself, he is in control. There won't be any accidents. Relax. And above all, remember, we would never get another chance at a professional, objective observation of the transition from ghoul to canite. To and relax, I did, and I set myself to remember. Scientific observation began to fail me though, I would have been disappointed in myself, but as the drowsiness grew, I couldn't muster any focused emotion. My heart rate slowed, my pulse beat lethargically, my mind drifted, and I let it. Intimacies. They came to mind so easily while I was in this half-conscious state, and in this state, so easy to see them from outside, to analyze myself objectively. My cravings for an intimate connection to another person were wholly typical of the norm, I suppose. It's even forgivable to confuse intimacies such as blood relation or sexual intercourse with a connection between minds, particularly given the influence of hormones or learned patterns. So, ultimately, I could forgive myself for behaving all too naturally. But when viewed from the outside, with myself as the patient under study, Those longings for connection and desperate attempts to please others. Again, I could forgive myself and not be embarrassed, but I was grateful for my expanded perspective. And perhaps this half-fugue condition made it possible for me to see exactly when the Vitae-induced imprinting took hold. I'd never tried that hard to analyze myself before. Amusing that what I'd never looked for came on me intuitively, like a jigsaw piece clicking into place. Six months after Lee had proposed, And in the middle of the Stauffer project, one month before joining Dr. Netchurch's team permanently. The Sunday morning when I snapped awake and drew away from Lee so quickly that he woke up confused. The morning of our first real, honest fight. Two days before I rejected my acquired need for intimacies. Two days before I realized exactly how I was going to spend the rest of my life. There's a slight numb sensation in my arm. Surely the catheter sliding free. I hear him sigh, the tiny sigh of someone finally giving in a temptation just this once. And then his teeth enter my arm. Shuddering weakly against the cold metal table, I fall into the dark. I am not alone. Emptiness surrounds me vast and hollow. I feel as though I'm a child in the center of a giant bed, casting about for the edges, but never reaching them. There's nothing to hold on to, nothing I can catch to pull myself free of this immense darkness. It's very like a nightmare. I can see nothing, touch nothing, and yet I both hear and feel voices. No more than distant vibrations. I'm not alone, and yet I can't call out to whoever it is that's surrounding me. I can't hear what they're saying. I'm not alone, and I'm not with anyone. It's terrifying. Somewhere high above me, there's the smell of blood. Then I go from being tiny and adrift to vast and heavy. I'm a sea of cold waters filling an immense dark shell. my throat, now a great emptiness all its own, comes aflame. With a ripping sound that I cannot hear, but rather feel throughout my infinite self, I come alive. There aren't words. Why would we use words anyway? So imperfect. Each word good for the microscopic purpose it was intended for and nothing more. Trying to capture the feeling of this transition using words is like trying to put an apple in a picture frame. No poetry, just sensation, an infinite number of colors, all black, the vibrant colors of pain beyond closed eyes, a wall of unseen skin pressing against me, fire burning in the recesses of my brain, heat, darkness, and noise. I swallow, and in that swallow, he enters my soul. The skin tears, I am through and one. My mind beats around his, his cradled in his. His mind is cool and hard, like a jewel. I press my own against it, savor the cool and the wet heat of the darkness. He is silent, but there is no silence for him to break, had he a reason to do so. A susurrus washes around us. It's warm, too. Is it the heat I feel? It brings with it a painful twinge. And beyond. Others? There is his sire, nestled deep into the fissures of my brain. Perhaps I'm hallucinating it, of course. However, I'm not in any state to make a proper diagnosis. I know I shouldn't trust my senses, and yet I am my senses. Although I feel certain I can't literally see anyone, I feel the soft pressure of other people, other thoughts all around, like breath on my neck. Something else back there, too, a shadow shaped like a flame. It hurts to focus on that, I have to withdraw. It's so warm, the heat is overwhelming, but not stifling. I feel spasms of energy. Not the slow crush of suffocation. The heat pulses behind my eyes. Just as I'd known it would be, my body is cool. Cool against the metal. But the heat. A body. I have a body. Shocks of pain impale it. I am immense again, a cold mass stapled to a metal slab. My eyes open and I need to scream at the intensity of the light. My mouth opens silently and the pain worsens. I feel nothing in my limbs, only the pain and heat in my head and the painful emptiness in my torso. I'm a frostbite victim placed next to a fire. The agony of need, of life, is too great. I try to scream again, but no noise comes. The strap around my head loosens and I blindly twist as much as I can. The cries within are deafening. I feel bats' wings brush against my eyes, and I slam my eyes shut, even though I know it's only stray locks of hair. The straps creak as I thrash against them, and the sound is like icebergs slamming together. The metal against my flesh is arctic cold, but no sensation at all next to the hunger. He puts my own blood to my lips, and I guzzle as greedily as any newborn. The cacophony fades slightly with each swallow, and I feel the still warm fluid seep into my thirsty tissues. Each cell trills as blood spreads further throughout me, carrying a painful warmth with it. Finally, I'm left sucking greedily at an empty tube, trying to drain the last beautiful rivulets. Then the tube is removed, and a cloth dabs at my lips. I open my eyes, and the world explodes into view cold and brilliant and a spectrum of whites and metals. The clarity is frightening. He stands over me, and I see the richness of polished marble and lightless ocean waters layered across him perfect as a photograph. I want to do something, but I don't know what. Shouldn't I be gasping for breath? No, no, foolish. His voice, echoing with the same unearthly clarity. How are you feeling? My body is still cold, but it's a small thing. My mind blazes with heat. My tongue is thick, and my first attempt to form words fails. Of course, no air in my lungs. Inhale then? I... I feel... cold. The noises have died, but the heat remains, insistent and rhythmic. He nods in that tiny economical way of his. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I'll admit some small worries as to whether or not you'd come through in a lucid state, so few do, but I knew that you'd likely had more than enough strength. If you don't mind, doctor, I'd like to keep you restrained for just a little bit more. A formal precaution, you know. I understand. A tiny smile slides across my lips. I try to stop it, but it's no good. I feel like I'm drunk, but that's fine. Best to be drunk when you're with someone you trust. Someone who'll never take advantage of you. I'll be glad to wait as long as you need. Excellent. He stands up. His cool fingers slide across my brow, ordering the errant strands of hair into a regiment. I wonder what those fingers would taste like. If you have any requests, an orderly will be in the next room. Just raise your voice. I'll return soon. And then it's the most wonderful thing. I hear Dr. Netchurch leave the room, the clack of his shoes on the tile, the door closing and locking afterward, and yet he hasn't left at all. The room is so still that I can make out the faintest whispers of his voice, blowing like fallen leaves down in the back of my skull. I close my eyes against the fluorescent lights and sink into the warm blackness, and his voice grows just a little louder. Maybe there are other voices in it, I don't know yet, but I have time to listen in the darkness until he comes back and undoes the straps and helps me up and we walk out of the laboratory into this incredible new existence. This. Marriage of minds enfolded into the loving, cruel heat of our blood. Words can't express. But then again, who needs words?